Welcome to Worship at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you're here joining us in person as, and as well as online. Welcome. At this time, we invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, 
in whom I take refuge, my shield in the horn of my salvation, my stronghold.
Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Fusion Kids. We're going to invite you guys over to that side of the room, those exits, to head down to Sunday school here in just a moment. Again, also students, if you want to stay and hang out with us up here, you are always more than welcome to do that too, but we've got some good stuff planned for you downstairs. So just a quick plug for those of you that don't know me, my name is Nate DeWitt. I'm the youth pastor here and get the honor of working with our middle school and high school kids uh, every week, Mondays and Wednesdays across the parking lot. So students, are you guys ready? Adults, are you guys ready? Now, this is a blessing that we get to give to you, but even probably more importantly, you guys get to give a blessing back to us, which is pretty cool and pretty important. You guys know how important you are, right? So we need to hear you today, all right? Adults, are you with me? The Lord be with you. Yeah, I can't think of a much better blessing than that. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Have a good time downstairs. All right, that's going to take us into a time of prayer. So if you would bow your heads with me, I'm going to begin with a a few verses from Psalm 27. Let's pray. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it's my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me. Even then, I will be confident. Lord, thank you for being all the things that we are not. And even further, thank you for the confidence that we can have in you, even in our own weakness. Life can sometimes be hard, and it can often feel like the enemy is knocking at the front door. 
but we stand in strength and in confidence and in the knowledge that we have the almighty God as the stronghold of our lives. Lord, you are not only strong, but you are also loving and compassionate. Thank you for your warmth and your comfort that we can rest in because of all of the, because of all of the care that you bring to our lives. We're grateful for nearly the unexplainable ways that we feel you in our lives each day. Thank you for the care that's provided to us through others, like our family and our friends. And thank you for the care that is revealed to us through your word. Help us to crave that, Lord, and to go back to it again and again when, we can, when, we care, when care is all we truly need from you. Lord, you are also generous. It is truly an amazing thing to remember that literally all we have from you is a gift. We may sit back and think that we've earned things, but we confess the truth that without you, we sometimes reluctantly realize we could and would have nothing. Lord, thank you. Thank you for a new day. Thank you for the people that came with us here today. Thank you for the people we get to see when we walk through the doors. Thank you for this beautiful facility, the hands that care for it, and the people that so generously help to fund it and the ministries that this facility helps to serve. Thank you for the breakfast or donuts that we have and will have this morning, and thank you for the blessing of the dinners that we will eat later tonight or today. Thank you for the start of a new week, new challenges, new achievement, and hopefully new joys that we will experience. Lord, as we approach this new week, grant us all we need to be a blessing to others. Out of our gratitude for the blessing you are to us, grant us wisdom, grant us patience, honor, empathy, courage, strength, peace, and most of all, Lord, love. Lord, please bless the rest of our time together today. Let us hear, feel, and know you better. Amen. Well, good morning. Okay, still kind of testing it out. That's fine. I'm, I'm always, I, my name is Bill Lindner. I'm the Celebration Campus Pastor, and I get to preach there in the morning. And occasionally, Darwin and the council will pray and listen to the Lord, and they'll conclude, let's let Bill cross the hall one more time and see if he'll behave. You know the answer to that, don't you? <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Last week, JB was able to step in for me. Uh, I'd been sick, and I'd, one week I'd had two memorial services. I really wanted to be able to focus on uh, care for those families and all that uh, we needed for that. So uh, in exchange, I'm going to have an opportunity with you. And I want to kind of give you a direction. We've been working through a, a version of the Bible called the story. It takes the New International Version text and kind of drops out some of the repeated material and concentrates it so you can get a sense of the narrative. And this week we begin a portion of that story that we're calling This Changes Everything because now we're done with the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and we're going to begin into what we call the New Testament and the four Gospels, the four records of an encounter with Jesus. Now, a couple things for you to realize with that. If, if you're reading through the um, uh, story. We should be into chapter 22. And in the story, you'd be reading from Matthew, Luke, and John, and you'd be reading about the birth narratives of Christ. So, Merry Christmas. Usually, those kind of get embedded into a holiday, but what you hope to do here is see 
the four perspectives on Jesus. And I want to give you just an overview for the next four weeks of something that I think is real important, has been very meaningful for my life. And it's this. We have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are four perspectives on the one person of Jesus. And because we have four unique perspectives with their personal interest from their encounter and for the interest of the audience that they're writing to, we get a fuller, more enriched picture of who Jesus is. A better picture, really, than we would from any single. So sometimes people will write a harmony of the Gospels. They kind of put things together. That's how the story is doing it. So you get through all four of them, and you see this picture of one man. But we're going to break apart and break from the story and do Matthew today, Mark next week, Luke, and then John. And each has their own kind of way. They give us an enriched view of Jesus. I have a friend who's a a police officer in in Louisiana, and he says whenever he's called to investigate a traffic accident, he tries to get about three perspectives, maybe four, on the accident. What did it look like from the east? What did it look like from the west coming the other way in traffic? What did it look like from the side? With those, he can begin to really get a bigger picture of what was there. Matthew, you would call a Jewish sort of perspective. This was Levi the tax collector, the, the backslidden Jew who's called to follow with Jesus, but he always has a heart for his people. So Matthew, the um, birth narratives, they go through that Hebrew side of, of Jesus, that part of his identity. Um, they quote from the Old Testament regularly. He talks about Jesus as the answer to the yearning of the Jewish people, because he is that. But if you noticed, in the birth narratives, there's nothing from Mark. That's because Mark, we deduce, is uh, kind of connected to Peter and written by um, Mark while they're in Rome. He's writing to Rome. And let me tell you something about Romans culturally. They don't care who your mama is. They want to know how big your army is. And so they start, this is the gospel. It's active verbs, it's power, it's whoa, to the point, like a good military command. It's got that sense to it. My favorite of the four, I love them all, but Luke, he was trained in the classical literature. He was a physician. So he would have taken the Hippocratic Oath. First, do no harm. And all that was a part of that and all that used to be a part of medical education. He, he distinguishes, because he's an outsider, that the gospel was for all people. Because he was a physician, he listened closely to the words of, of mothers in their birth. He has Mary's perspective. See, he'd been a physician. That was his training. That's what he was attuned to. And he enriches the picture of Jesus. And then there's John, kind of like a memoir. He writes, and here is John, uh, the youngest when Jesus was alive. Jesus had a particular fondness for him. And now he's had years to reflect on the death and resurrection and, and those stories and what it meant. And so each of these together give us a very full, nuanced picture of who Jesus is. Today I'm going to work on Matthew, and the text that I want to look at um, is in chapter 16. We'll start with verse 1, skip over some things, and then get to a particular experience beginning at um, 
verse 12, and I want to talk about the decision that's embedded in this text, because it's a decision not only that I need to make, but it's a decision that if I make it, makes me. That's what happened to Peter. And we'll see how that worked in his life. I'll ask uh, Steve if you would just circulate through that and I'll read. Hear the word of God, beginning at Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. Now the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and they tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. They have that encounter and then Jesus is speaking with his disciples and he said, Then they understood that he was not telling them, the disciples, to guard against the yeast used in bread. It was a metaphor, friends. But instead, guard against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Very next verse. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Well, some say... John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Long, pregnant, painful silence. You know how it is when somebody asks a question and you think there's a right answer and you're not sure you got it? You've been wondering, but you're just not sure. But Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by the flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered the disciples not to tell anyone he was the Messiah. You see, God was at work in a process, and it wasn't time to... That time will come, but now you... Let me disciple you. Let me work with you, is what Jesus is saying. And so he leaves us with that word. Let's take a moment and pray, shall we? Father, thank you um, that Matthew, who was an eyewitness here, would have pondered this moment and how it was Peter who answered, not him in that moment, would have reflected and thought. And so when it came time, led by your spirit, writing in a community to, to write his gospel, that you brought this to mind, Holy Spirit, and in an amazing way, you've preserve these texts across centuries so that now uh, we can kind of unroll the scroll, as it were, translate, study, pray, have conversations about it. But most of all, that you who began this process, Holy Spirit, you will be faithful to finish it and to illumine our hearts and minds to receive not just words on a page, but your word to shape and transform our hearts. Be that this day. And I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you would guard your people against my brokenness and my sin, but that you would make clear the one I would point to this day, the Lord Jesus, who gave his life for, as a ransom for many. We receive that this day. Father, uh, guide us and be present this day, for we pray in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Friends, here's the question before us today. Who is this guy, Jesus? 
Let's listen to some answers. Jesus. And what does that expect or demand or offer to us? Now, as we look at this passage in the Bible and we look at that question, we see a couple of different things going on. It starts with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they come to Jesus. They want to test him, it says. They want to see if Jesus fits their expectations. Does this Jesus person, does he fit me and what I want. That's very easy. It's a short step, and I'll just pass by it. These Pharisees and Sadducees, two groups, contending parties, almost like, oh, should we say it, Democrats and Republicans, who are each interested in using Jesus for their agenda and to their end. That's what the Pharisees were doing. There's a particular posture of heart here. That's what I want to get at. And it begins when we ask ourselves, does Jesus fit my desires and my self-generated values? When you do that, you're prone to find, say, a social justice Jesus, or maybe a different perspective and different values and hopes. You end up with a prosperity theology Jesus. Favorite book of mine that talks about this problem, they have what's called in there a magic eight ball Jesus. You know, the Jesus that you pray to when there's trouble and you shake it up and you kind of turn it up and, oh, if you don't like that answer, you just shake it up again. That's what it means to start with my agenda, my values, my desires, and try to shape Jesus after that. All sorts of different agendas. Does Jesus fit what I'm comfortable with? Is this Jesus what I was raised with? All different agendas, but a similar process of taking a measuring stick and trying to conform Jesus to that. 
Now, I want to tell you something. I'll be the first. I do a question and answer every Sunday. Well, not today, but usually after celebration, we'll then go downstairs and I have an open mic opportunity for folks to ask me questions. Well, what do you think this is? What do you think that is? We'll interact about the sermon. I want to tell you, I love questions because that's where we're thinking, and it's a worthwhile question. I don't begrudge the Pharisees and Sadducees asking questions. What we see is that they were so committed to bringing an agenda to the question that it would only give them the answer they wanted, garbage in, garbage out. You see, there's a, a problem with that. So the Pharisees and Sadducees, they start off testing and looking for an agenda. But Jesus, after interacting with them some and warning us of that kind of attitude, then talks with his disciples. Uh, Who do people say that I am? And this is kind of the reporting response. I'm not going to get too involved in here, but you know what they say. 25% of the population is voting this way, and everybody's got a response. No personal commitment here, just observation. Well, I read this book, and it said... Oh, I had that class, and the professor said. Kind of giving these secondary responses and answers to the question, who is Jesus? But Jesus will always take you deeper. Wherever you are right now with Jesus, I can tell you, his yearning is to say, follow me on this journey. Take the next step. And you know what? Occasionally, that step will challenge, will be uncomfortable, but it's how we grow. He gives the disciples another question. Who do you say that I am? That's why I tried to read that with that kind of tense, pregnant pause. Who is Jesus? Matthew was there, and he didn't have an answer, but Peter would stand up and say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and suddenly we're into new territory. Peter has made a decision and a commitment about who Jesus is. And if that's who Jesus is, then it's going to demand particular things of me. It's going to mean I live a particular way. It's going to mean my agenda is going to need to move to second or maybe even third place, that he's going to start to shape the agenda. Who do you say that I am? They were at Caesarea Philippi. I'll tell you another fascinating thing. It's in the context here. You wouldn't pick it up without some study. Caesarea Philippi was an important uh, Greco-Roman city of the time with a long history. It's about 25 miles north of the northernmost tip of the Sea of Galilee. And in this city, it had been a center in the Old Testament times of Baal worship, of idols and idolatry and the stumbling block. The worship of Baal that took the people of God away from the worship of Yahweh, the God who made himself known through the Hebrew Bible. After that season of centering on Baal worship, it became a point of worship in the Middle East of the Greek god Pan, the shepherd idol. Israel to be ruled by a king who was a shepherd The Lord is my shepherd. In this city where Jesus is speaking to them right now, there's the distraction of this history of a shepherd idol. Oh, he'll give you what you want. Parties. He's actually, we would see the idol of Pan in Mardi Gras when I lived in New Orleans. It's that Mardi Gras spirit. Here's where you want to go. Now in this time, 
It's a place for the worship of Caesar. The Romans were beginning, as part of their oppression of the known world at that point, they were beginning to say that their God, Caesar, their king, was God himself. And in the midst of all this, the idolatry, the history, the testing with agenda, the don't commit, I'll just observe, Jesus asks the question, who do you say that I am? And Peter steps forward in this moment. He says, you are the son of God. It's as if to say, this is who you've been presenting yourself as. I'm going to take that seriously. I think that's at the root of this. Peter takes this step. And what's involved in this step? Well, I'll tell you the first thing that really fascinates me in verse 17. Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. You see, Peter just didn't deduce this, but something from outside of him made the click. You know, we live in a world that's marked by what we call now an imminent frame perspective. It's, it's the idea that it's kind of a two-dimensional flat world. Everything can be explained by cause and effect. There's the cause and effect of physics. There's the cause and effect of psychology oh, I did it because that happened. There's a cause and effect of social forces. What group am I in and what shapes me? There's the, the cause and effect of economics. And when you see the world like we're trained to, this is the, 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 the water in which we swim. I was being trained in this as a college student in a previous century and only just now begin to realize how deeply it's affected everything we do. But when you only see the world in this imminent frame, then you've got to explain what's going on here is what's the cause and effect. The Bible, Matthew, who was there and an eyewitness, is saying, no, something from outside made it clear. It was revealed to Peter. Jesus points to what's a transcendent experience. You can't explain this answer in terms of psychology or economics or any other imminent cause and effect. Something from outside the system, now the Bible believes that's the Lord God, speaks in a way that takes Peter from his dead heart to his, I think you're the one we've been reading about. All these years we've hoped for, you're the one. And suddenly it's not just a flat, imminent world. There's a transcendent moment, a moment where, gosh, it's not just about the beauty of the sunset. It's about the beauty of the God who created this sunset. It's one of those moments, a transcendent moment. Now, this is important, friends, because years ago, I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I've been after this thing, being faithful to Jesus, for half a century. Can you believe that? Half a century I've been trying to follow Jesus as he's revealed himself and made himself to be known. And I remember uh, as a high school student, my life had blown up from a football injury, trying to figure out what life was about. I was starting to play guitar, getting into the whole music scene back in the day. And somebody in the midst of that shared with me the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way I could respond to it. And I, I mean, I can tell you time and place, I went out to him as a red Plymouth Barracuda on the lunch break at Olympic High School in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I prayed to acknowledge Jesus as Lord of the universe and Savior of my life. I prayed. And I stepped out of that car different. I've been trying to figure that out the rest of my life. Now, 
I thought that was a decision, and it was. But as I've walked the journey of faith with Jesus over time, you know what I've realized? Was that before I made a decision, Jesus had pursued me. That my decision was a response of faith to the grace that had awakened me. I wouldn't be where I am today if God in his sovereign, amazing, inexplicable wonder hadn't said, hey, that goofy one in Miss Brown's geometry class, I want him today, send him to the Plymouth. I thought it was a decision, but I look back and I understand now that God had been at work, that my decision was an expression of gratitude, faith. So it's revealed, it's made known to us, and yes, we respond appropriately, and that's true. It expresses itself as a profession of faith, but it's in response to who God is and what he's done. It's taking a step. Let me tell you something about why I think this profession of faith is so important. It's because this passage is about that faith. It's not about Peter. I mean, we're going to look at Peter in a little while, and boy, was he an up-and-down guy. Jeepers. But now it's about the faith. You can discern this, and we'll look at the text, in the you and the this. In here, Jesus will speak to you, Peter, and then he'll point to this, two different things. And I tell you that you are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. You are Peter. On this rock, what was this rock? Well, it says back in verse 17, you are Peter. Again, points to you, the him. This is what was revealed, the identity of who Jesus was. So friends, this is about a response to God's grace. We respond by faith. Rock is used throughout Scripture as a metaphor for the real, solid, discernible content of the faith. I want to tell you something, as unpopular as this might be in our day and time, I don't get to invent Christianity for myself. God offers it to me by His grace. I can go with it. I can leave it. But I don't get to make it up. I know it's very popular for people to stand in front of a crowd like this and say, well, let me, while I have this platform, tell you my truth. I want to tell you there is truth, and I got a little bit of an angle on truth, and you may have a little bit of an angle of truth, but here's truth. It's outside us. You and I need to get together and figure it out. That's why I love being with God's people. I have something to receive because you're pursuing God and we're in this together. But if it's just my truth or your truth, the only one who gets to establish their truth is the one with power. After all, none of you are shouting or interrupting. What we're pointing at is something greater than my truth. It's God's truth. And it'll call and challenge you as well. You see, rock is used throughout the scripture as a metaphor for the real and solid content of faith. Go back to the Old Testament. And the Lord himself is named as the rock of salvation. I love this text in 2 Psalms. I used to play a song uh, based on this text. The Lord lives. And notice, do you see how the Lord there is capital O, L, capital O, capital R, capital D? That's a translator's key for you that what's back there is not the word boss, but the name Yahweh. This is the God who reveals himself first to Moses, then to his people, then speaks to the prophets. This is the name of God. 
The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. The Lord is the rock. Exalted be my God, the rock, my Savior. So God himself is my rock. He is the one who saves me. Jesus would say in Matthew 7, verse 24, that this rock is like a foundation, his words and his practice. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. You know, otherwise, you build your life on my truth, you're on sand. That's why I point to the rock. I want you to know him more than me. I don't mind sharing my life with you as one who struggled to pursue that, but don't think I'm your model. Goodness. I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. That's the one thing I can demonstrate clearly. Do it far too often. You see, in this connection, faith in the Lord Jesus, His Word, and His work, that's our sure and sustaining rock. That's what we have confidence in. Not Peter, as we'll see in a moment. Because you see, there's something else, and Peter's the one who points this out, about this sure rock. It can also be a stumbling stone. Now, that can be a little disconcerting. So, so, so Jesus is like, causes me to trip and fall flat on my face. Glory to God, yes. You mean Jesus might flatten me and bloody my nose? What does it mean to stumble on a stone? But Peter is going to point out that Jesus is a stumbling stone. Listen to First Peter. This is the first of epistle of Peter. It's from his hand or dictation. Chapter 2. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. They think nothing of it, but it's really the cornerstone of all of life. Verse 8. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. Now, Peter is just picking up passages from Isaiah and Psalms and saying, you know, the truth of who Jesus is, the Jesus who is, not the Jesus of my feelings or projections or traditions or whatever, that Jesus will sometimes cause me to stumble. Over the years, I've found that sort of stumbling. Jesus is stumbling stone to be lived out in my life. I can look at the places where I stumbled and begin to realize that's where I needed to change my understanding and my relationship with Jesus. See, I thought Jesus loved me because I could grow a church. So he took my church away, caused me to stumble. It was a brutal season. But in that season, I began to see that Jesus was more than just the payoff for what I did. He loved me. And he loved me whether I was a pastor or not. Wow that I could begin to live out of that love rather than to act hoping to receive that love. Blew my mind. But first, I hit a stumbling stone. And it's like that in Peter's life. Let's think about the journey of what growing faith is. You know, here at Hardaway, in all three communities, and everything we do, we want to be about inviting people to join the journey of being found in, formed by and following Jesus Christ. This journey of growing faith, it, it can start at a moment like Peter, where we stand up, ah, 
You were the Christ, the son of the living God. But you know what happened in a few months, maybe just a few years? It wasn't that long a time until Peter would deny Jesus. You know the story. It's part of the Easter narratives. We reflect on it in Lent. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Jesus wept bitterly as he went outside. You see, Peter went from the only guy who'd stand up for Jesus as he's made himself known to tell him, children, he didn't know anything about Jesus. He was so scared and embarrassed of the consequences of that. Now, that was a moment of Peter stumbling, and it's a pretty brutal. But if you're going to have a real picture of Jesus in understanding a real picture of Peter, you're going to have to see that there was a time that Jesus would be a stumbling block for Peter. Now, the story doesn't end there, because in a few days after this denial, Peter will go to the tomb, and holy cow, it is empty. And by later that night, he sees the, the resurrected Jesus, and now he's got no clue. Well, maybe I do, but he goes back to what he, he he's up and down. He goes back to fishing, and then Jesus has come. Let me change your life. And there's going to be a moment after this denial that Jesus would say, go, care for my flock. I love you. I'll lead you where you would not choose to go. There would be other things for Peter to learn. There would be challenges, difficulties. Sometimes he'd look like a star. Other times he'd be a goat. I mean, he had an up and down life. But that up and down, I come to see, is how Jesus, let's correct this part, let's correct that part, oh, let's knock that off, oh, let's add this. We are construction projects, maybe renovation. Not that a person is ever a project, but that God is always at work in the lives of people like me and you. There would come a time, and I could look at so many places. I'll just look at this one because it's a favorite. It's God expands Peter's vision of his work for all people. Peter had grown up a, a good Jewish boy, ate kosher, you know, wore the right clothes, went to the right schools, all the right stuff. But then there's this Jesus. And one day after the resurrection, Peter's praying, and he has this vision. All of a sudden, all my good truly reformed doctrine about it must be grounded in the word. Well, the word tells me that God gives visions. And here's Peter having a vision. And same time, far away, another guy, and this is a Roman military officer, Cornelius. He's having a vision. And lo and behold, it's the purpose of the Spirit to lead these two guys together. And Peter shares with him the gospel. You'll find it in Acts 10. And he preaches the gospel. God moves. It looks like Pentecost right there. And listen to what Peter says. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize Peter has a different perspective of Jesus than he did on the day of Pentecost, the day that he denied Jesus, the day that he confessed Jesus. Jesus is at work to expand Peter's vision of what the gospel means. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but that he accepts every nation, out of every nation, the ones who fear him and do what is right. And look what Peter does. He he doesn't from there. We're in Holland, so I want to make this clear. He doesn't say, all right, all of you who do what's right, here's the Ten Commandments, go do them. 
You know, the purpose of the Ten Commandments is to show us where we're falling short and why we need a Savior. That's why the Ten Commandments have value. No, those who do what is right respond in faith to God's grace. And then His grace is at work in us to work out the fullness of His grace and faith. So you see, Peter would face stumbling blocks that would be part of his journey of faith. It would be coming to grips with Jesus on his own terms. Because you see, all through the scripture, there is this challenge for us. You and I must decide for yourself. And so I've got to speak to my heart. You know, this is the the active center of truth in the 21st century of the United States. What do you believe is true in there? I want to tell you, you got to decide for yourself, self. What do you think? You've got to decide for your... I know grandma had a great faith. That's cool. I know the Heidelberg Catechism is wonderful, but, but self, where do you stand? You've got to decide for yourself. That's a response of faith in gratitude to his work of grace, the message of the gospel. But here's what we must not do. I must decide for myself but I'm not free to define for myself. And he will, time after time, be the stumbling block that corrects my agenda, my desire to shape him, my, I'll take this, but not that. See, when you set him as Lord and as Savior, then it's his to call how I live my life. We heard a a report today from a middle schooler who spent 10 days in South Africa on a mission trip. You know, when Jesus is Lord of your life, you have no idea where he's going to send you or what he's going to do because it's his to call you. That's the adventure that I've been pursuing for 50 years. I mean, it led me to the inner city of New Orleans. It led me to California. And then one day, I I couldn't believe it. it. It was as if the Holy Spirit said, go to Holland. Now, it sounded like the voice of Darwin Glassford. (laughs) So God speaks through his community. It's all good. But here I am, trying to come to grips with Jesus on his own terms. C.S. Lewis, fascinating guy. During World War II, during the Blitz, the Nazis are bombing London to smithereens. I had a couple in my congregation outside of Washington, D.C., who as children had been put on a train by their parents and sent out to the countryside. Parents had no idea where they would go. And in the middle of that, C.S. Lewis has a radio address. It becomes a book called Mere Christianity. And he talks about how in that book, how we need to come to grips with Jesus on his own terms, that Jesus on his own terms said, I am God in the flesh. I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. I'm the fulfillment of everything written in the Old Testament. It finds meaning in me. And Lewis goes on to say, if he said that and it's not true, then he's a liar. And if he said that and it's not true and he didn't know what he was saying, he was a lunatic. I think we've progressed in Western civilization. If he said that and it's not true, he may not just be a liar or a lunatic, we can also just write him off as a legend. Oh yeah, I've heard that story. 
what he is to me. You see, we need to come to grips with these questions. Are the scripture a reliable witness to Jesus? Can we have knowledge of Jesus? Is he who he claims to be? Spend time to dig into that. But that's the question. I want to close with another person that you may recognize who's answered this same question. It's just fascinating to hear his response. He's an Irishman. Reminds me of Luke Kerrig. I pray and miss for Luke and Kelsey each week. I, I'm thankful for what they're doing in Ireland. Uh, this is on Ireland's public broadcasting system. This is PBS in Ireland asking Bono, the lead guy, the front man for you too, who is Jesus? Who do you think he is? crucified because he said he was the son of God. So he either, in my view, was the son of God or he was not. No, no, nuts. nuts. Yes. Forget yes. rock and roll messianic complexes. This is like, I mean, Charlie Manson type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that all the millions and millions of lives half the earth for 2,000 years have been touched, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just, I don't believe it. I, so I think... therefore it follows that you believe he was divine. Yes. And therefore it follows that you believe that he rose physically from the dead. Yes, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm no problem with miracles. <laughs> Living around them. I am one. So, so when you pray, then, you pray to Jesus. Yes. The risen Jesus. Yes. And you believe that he made promises which will come true. Yes. I do. So you believe this stuff? Yes, I do. Let's pray. Father, we're amazed that into the physical reality we know, this imminent frame of psychology and sociology and physics, that something outside the system has entered in and said, I am God and I am here to rescue you from what you may not even recognize right now. I thank you that figuring out who Jesus is, what he calls us to, what it means to be shaped by him rather than try to shape him by us, I know that these are the most important, challenging steps of a lifetime. I've been pursuing them for 50 years. Thank you that it doesn't depend on us getting it right, because many times I haven't. But day by day and step by step, you're changing us after the image of Jesus because of who he is and what he did. Have your way and have your work. Thank you for a, a washed out tax collector like Matthew, who would see and record and would point us this day to the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his marvelous and mighty name. Amen. And Amen. I invite you to stand and sing with us.
God. And if he is all he claimed to be, son of God, savior, empowerer, he has some directions for our life. And I'm going to make that the blessing for you as you head out, because this is the next step on the adventure. Again, it's from Matthew, from the words of Jesus. Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and go means a change of location. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen? Amen. Go in his grace. me.